Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another live episode of That's Truth. I'm Nathan Owens. Sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Um, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and welcome to those who listen to the program. Thank you for allowing us to be in your home this evening. We have a number of questions to start out tonight's program with, but go ahead, please send in your question. We are awaiting your question, and we will ask your question to Pastor when it arrives. We have a question, Pastor. It says, I would like to ask a few questions for the next program. Were the Canaanites descendants of Ham, Noah's son? Ham was one who saw his father's nakedness and told it to his brothers, right? His father pronounced a curse on him. So was the curse passed down to his descendants? Another question. The black race were descendants of Ham and Shem. Please clarify for me, please. Thanks in advance. Well, the way to answer that question is to go to Genesis chapter 10, uh, where we have the table of the nations, and we are uh, given the 70 original nations or national uh, units that the entire family of mankind uh, came out from. So if we look at uh, Genesis chapter 10 and look at verse number 6, we're given the descendants of Ham in that passage. Uh, could you just read that for me, please? Genesis ten six says, And the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizraim, and Phut, and Canaan. Right. Uh, so the answer to your question is, is correct, that Canaan is a descendant of Ham. Um, so he is one of the ancestors, one of the major family groups that came out of the Hamitic line. Um, in terms of the curse, if you look at Genesis 9.25, you see that the curse was placed on Canaan, not Ham. And he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. Right. So the the the, the uh, there's no um, biblical passage that says that God can't curse Ham. Now we know that Ham is the one that looked on his father's nakedness, but yet uh, instead of cursing Ham, Canaan was cursed, and it's believed that uh, because God knows everything, He's omniscient. He saw within Cain, who was an ancestor of Ham, that same quality that Ham had that prurient interest in his father's nakedness. Now, we're not given any detail what was involved, why did he not cover, but it's very clear from the fact that his two brothers, 
um, walked in backward and uh, carried some kind of a clothing to cover his dad, that certainly it would, their approach to the whole matter was different than, than, uh, than Ham. Ham seemed to have taken a prurient interest in his father's nakedness and then went outside maybe either shaming his father or talking uh, disrespectfully to his father. And the two brothers, um, hearing that, they themselves were much more reserved and careful and thoughtful of their father and they uh, covered him but they did not look upon his father's nakedness but yet Cain is, is cursed and I just believe that 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 prurient interest that characterized Ham uh, within the generation that would produce out of those those four Cush, uh, Mizraim, Phut and uh, Canaan Canaan seemed to have had that particular quality and he himself uh, is cursed but there's no Hamitic curse on the descendants of Ham other than, than Canaan. Now, the other question is, um, I said, oh, by the way, if you look down at uh, verse 15, Nathan, from chapter uh, chapter 10, if you look at verse 15 and following, you see the descendants of Canaan are listed. And Canaan begot Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jebusite, and Amorite, and the Girgashite, and the Hivite, and the Arachite and the Sinite and the Arvidite and the Zemurite and the Hamathite right. and afterward were families in Canaanite spread abroad. All the ites. <laughs> <laughs> but it's clear that these are the descendants and uh, when the Israelites went into uh, possess Canaan uh, these are the nations that they had to wipe out and destroy and when you read the book of Leviticus and it begins to list the kind of moral or immoral practices that the Canaanites engaged in. Uh, God lists the things that the Jews should not engage in, and he said, and the reason why I'm destroying these nations uh, within Canaan is because these are the things that they're practicing. And when you look at the whole list, it involved incest, it involved uh, adultery, it involved... uh, homosexuality, it involved bestiality. Uh, they're all listed in the book of Leviticus. But these were the, the common immoral practice that were going on among the Canaanites. Then we begin to understand why a curse was placed upon them. And remember that uh, the Lord had given them 430 years before Israel would wipe them off the map and um, put, pretty much uh, there were moral cancer that needed to be um, exhumed, I mean, excised from the earth uh, because of the moral corruption. I'm told even today that those who have done the archaeological research and those who have investigated the Canaanite um, uh, period, that there are drawings in the caves and drawings in different parts of where the Canaanites live that it is not even proper, uh, even today, to put them in a book for people to be able to see them. They're that atrocious in terms of the moral depravity that they'd reach. But um, this is not a curse on the Hamatic race. It's a, a curse on Canaan in particular and the ancestors of Canaan. And God dealt with that in the, uh, when the Israelites were going into the Promised Land, that he wiped off the, the cancer that was there. And he warned the Israelites that um, they were not to intermarry with these people because if they did, they would move their heart away from God and cause them to serve other gods. Now the other thing, the other question was asking, are the um, is the black race where the descendants of Ham or Shem? Well, we know that the 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 black race are descendants of Ham. The word Ham means um, means black or burnt. Uh, 
That's what the word Ham means. So, so, so we know that the Israelites are not descendants of the Hamitic race. If you look at um, Genesis 10, uh, verse 21. Unto oh. Shem also the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder, even to him were children born. Right. You can go on and read that down, but if you look at verse number, you, you follow in that same line, look at verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 10 to 26. Chapter 11, verse 10 to 26. Uh, These are the generations of Shem. Shem was an hundred years old and begot Arphaxad two years after the flood, and Shem lived after he begot Arphaxad Five hundred years and begot sons and daughters, and Arphaxad lived five and thirty years and begot Selah, and Arphaxad lived after he begot Selah four hundred and three years and begot sons and daughters, and Selah lived thirty years and begot Eber, and Selah lived after he begot Eber four hundred and three years and begot sons and daughters. And Eber lived four hundred and thirty years and begot Peleg. And Eber lived after he begot Peleg four hundred and thirty years and begot sons and daughters. When you get down to verse 26. And you want me to jump down there? Yeah, yeah, jump now. Okay, scrolling down to verse 26. And Terah lived... Seventy years and begot Abram. Okay, that's the point I'm making. That the Israelites mm. came to Terah to Abraham, and they came from the line of Seth, not the Hamitic line. So the the black race is not part of the Semitic line; they're part of the Hamitic line. Uh, so that the Bible clarifies that where the the um, the races came from. And, and by the way, the Bible does not emphasize race. Period. Uh, that is a a human construct. Uh, you don't find it, it talks about groups, ethnic groups, but nothing about talking about race, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and it's very unfortunate that it's become such a major issue. But it was never. And the other thing that a lot of people bring up um, has to do with the inter, interracial marriage. The Bible uh, didn't want the Jews to intermarry with. Uh, other people, not because it had to do anything with their race or their ethnicity, but it had to do with the concern that um, God wanted to maintain the uh, p- the purity, biblical purity, and it's a matter of faith and, and a matter of spirituality as opposed to a matter of skin or pigmentation. Uh, and that is why um, there's no objection in the Bible for any kind of uh, marriage if it is if it goes against the faith, if it goes against the biblical teaching, you don't marry somebody outside the Christian faith. But in terms of um, limiting the marriage because of a person's ethnicity or personal race, that is not supported in Scripture. Uh, it has nothing to do with this skin pigmentation, nothing to do with the um, ethnicity. It has mainly to do with your religious commitment to the true and living God or um, worshipping of an idol God. You didn't want that kind of intermarriage of, of two different types of faith. That's what it's all about. 
Thank you to the individual who sent in that question. We appreciate your interaction. I, I did want to say something, Nathan, too. Uh, I, I don't know how anybody who reads the Scripture and studies the Scripture, uh, there's a movement in the States now where uh, blacks are claiming that they are the original Jews and they're the Israelites. There's nothing more... Um, ridiculous than that kind of a statement. The Jews are Jews, blacks are blacks. The blacks never lived in Jerusalem. They never were carried into Babylonian captivity nor the Assyrian captivity. So I don't know why there's this penchant, this 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 uh, uh, predilection uh, that people seem to want to um, take the Jewish identity and claim it for themselves. Now they always talk about cultural theft. Now that is cultural death, okay? Because the the, the reality is that uh, black people are not the Israelites; they're not the Jews, and that need to be stated. And and uh, that is so obvious that's not even ar- worth arguing about. And I'm not too sure why people are jumping on the bandwagon uh, to do that. And I think they draw a parallel between the fact that they were held into slavery and Israel was held into slavery. They themselves use the word diaspora as though they're referring to the Jews, but that's the Jewish uh, uh, the the Greek term for the Jewish diaspora and the fact that they were scattered to the uttermost parts of the world. They have also taken that word and applied it to themselves. And uh, we, we just need to be very honest on these matters and speak truth to these matters and not get wrapped up in all of the emotion of the, of the times that people are engaging in. Um, that's what I want to just say on, on that matter. Another question that has come in. Actually, before I do that, let me share with you how you can ask your question. You can call and ask it live on the air by calling 1-268-462-7420. You can also WhatsApp or text your question to 268-782-1454. You can join us on Facebook Live, Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the uh, Facebook Live video feed, and right there in that Facebook Live video feed, you can watch the program behind the scenes, listen to the program, and also send us your question in the comment section. A question that has just come in. Good night. I have a question for That's Truth. Why do most people wait till old age to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in their life. I have found that when people get sick or are bedridden, it's only then they seek God. Why can't they seek him now while there is time? They enjoy all the pleasures in the world and wait till the very end to accept him. Well, I am not too sure how how genuine a lot of these last moment um Conversions. Uh, conversions are. I mean, you, you burn out your life for the devil, then you blow the smoke in God's face. I'm not too sure how many of those are authentic. Uh, if I was a person who had blown my whole life, all my life, I would really have a, a, a compunction of conscience. I, I, I would almost feel guilty at my last moment uh, coming to God. I don't know how sincere I would feel that I am. Uh, so I am not too sure that it, there's a lot of authentic um conversions for people in the old age. I think old age is one of the most difficult times for people to get saved. I think they become so hard and so fixed in their ways, they become a habit with them, and they're no longer sensitive to, to, to spiritual things. I think that's a danger time when a person waits uh, so late. As a matter of fact, most conversions, um, the last time I did anything on this matter, are between like 14, um, well, when you're very young, um, maybe between what, maybe seven, 
14, 15. Uh, that is probably the, 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 the greatest uh, movement of people who are converted. So I don't know where you've got your data from, but I'm sure that the statistics would indicate that very few people get saved in their old age. Uh, a lot of these people are realizing that they've got a year to live or whatever it is, and uh, I am not too sure how genuine their conversion really is. I mean, you can you can say a prayer, but how genuine are you uh, in terms of repentance, you know, sorrow, brokenness, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? And and how often has the Holy Spirit been dealing with you between uh, when you get like sixty, seventy? How long the Holy Spirit been dealing with you, and you've been rejecting the Holy Spirit? The Bible says, "My Spirit will not always thrive with man." And sometimes people go to the point where even if they want to repent, they can't repent because there's no longer any feeling, any emotion, uh, any any. The will is so weak that even to make decisions, I find it very difficult. Uh, but in terms of why people do that, um, because people, um, pretty much when you're young, you just want to enjoy the world, flirt with the world, uh, engage in all kinds of sinful activities. And in the back of your mind is always, I can do these things, and then when I get an old age, and I can turn to the Lord. Then to discover when you want to turn to the Lord, you can't turn to the Lord because you've rejected Him so much. Your heart becomes so hard, and your conscience becomes seared, and therefore you're no longer responsive. But it's a very dangerous thing to wait. Uh, the Bible says, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. We don't get saved by just deciding one day, i I done with this, I'm going to the Lord. You get saved when God brings you under conviction through His Word and brings you to the point where you are willing to turn away from your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So it's not just man just making a, a decision without God's involvement in this matter. Christ said, no man can come to the Father except uh, except he's drawn. And that's where the Spirit has to be at work in a person's life. A person gets saved when the Spirit of God convicts them about their sin and generates faith in their, in their, in their heart so they're going to put their faith and trust in Christ. But just deciding one day, I'm I done with this, and therefore I can rush into the kingdom, and there's no conviction, and there's no, there's no work in the Holy Spirit, how can that be a genuine um, conversion experience? So I think people need to be warned that be sensitive to when God speaks to them through the Word, through the agency of the Holy Spirit. That's the time you get conviction. That's the time uh, to be converted. Thank you for sending in that question. Our next question. In light of the fact that sin entered the world and death by sin of one man, which one of these is the correct theology? Did Satan thwart God's plan for mankind? And did God know that this would happen, or was it always in his plan from the beginning, and that's why he knew, since that was how he determined it to unfold? The latter has caused much perplexity that so many believers avoid the discussion. What are your views on this according to the Bible? Now, I'm going to give you a rough view, my view, but I want to come back to this uh, I'm going to be off the program for about a month, uh, about three weeks, because I'm going to um, going away. Uh, but I do want to take this topic up uh, another time and deal with it more extensively, because uh, that question has to do with the whole matter of election. And I would like to, to do something on that election and how what are the different um, systems. Um, but Satan cannot thwart. God's purpose. Uh, that's the first thing I would like to say. So whatever interpretation you give to the Bible, uh, it is not that Satan has thwarted God's purpose. 
God's purpose stands, and there's no being, no creature, uh, uh, no angel, no archangel, no principality of power that can frustrate God's purpose. So that's the first thing I would like to say. There is an element of mystery, however, and I must admit that. If, if God has a plan, and uh, God knew that when he created man, that man would sin, the whole question is, why did God then create man, and why did God allow man to sin? And that's an, an area that the Bible doesn't give us all the data on that. It's a question I would like to ask God myself. Uh, and one day in glory, we will have an opportunity to find out what was behind all of this, et cetera, et cetera. I would like to give you my, my whole conception of this whole thing, of, of how, it, how, 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 in my view, um, I, I view the whole matter of, of, of sin, creation, and redemption. Uh, creation of the human race was part of God's plan, in my ju- judgment, to deal with sin and Satan. I can't divorce the creation of man apart from how God intended to use this by some means of dealing with the whole system of rebellion and sin that Satan had created prior to man's creation. So I believe that man is part of God's plan to finally deal with sin and completely get it out of the universe. I believe that. Um, the other thing is that God cannot be tempted with evil neither tempteth any man with evil. So God could not have created Adam and Eve and then tempted them to sin. He himself cannot be tempted and he will not do it. But he allowed it to happen. So we can't blame God uh, uh, and make him the, the primary agent of temptation. When God allows the devil to tempt us, God is doing uh, one or two things. Number one, he is testing our loyalty uh, to him. And then also he's putting on display, like he did Job, to the world that there's not in every case you believe a man is serving me because of what he can get out of it. He can serve me out of a genuine heart because he loves me as his God. That is the story of Job, quite frankly. Um, thirdly, man was made with the capacity to make a moral choice of either obeying God or disobeying God. He was made in the image of God. God in his being, God has uh, four characters, three characters of personality. Um, he has emotions, he has a will, and um, emotions, will, and he has um, intellect. Those are the three characteristics of personality. So whatever, whoever, when God made man, he could not have made man a sub um, image of God. He was made in the image of God, which means that he mirrored the personality of God in having those three characters. So he must have volition. He must have free will. Man was tested by God to allow, uh, by allowing God, allowing Satan to tempt man. Now again, there's a mystery behind that. Uh, why was that allowed? And again, I think this is where Satan comes into the picture. And because uh, he is the one that has ruined God's creation, again, I, I'm not a legal mind, but somehow God has to deal with Satan in a legal, just, righteous way. And I think this is where man comes in, uh, in, far, in terms of God dealing with the, the, the adversary. Um, man was deceived through Satan's subtlety, and man disobeyed God. That's what the Bible says. Man was not, uh, God did not make man t- to sin. 
God gave man a choice, and man chose through the disobedience and through deception that he fall, fell victim to sin. But God did not make him sin, and that's what we need to understand. It was not part of God's plan that man sin either. Uh, the moment we say that it's part of God's plan to make man sin, the Bible says God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted with any man. Uh, and that puts uh, God's character uh, um, into disrepute. Uh, to say that God um, uh, made man sin. Uh, uh, God embarked on a rescue plan to forgive man for his sin and to restore him to a righteous relationship. That is part of God's plan. And God made salvation uh, to all men on the basis of free choice. I believe uh, that when Christ died, it gave God the, the, um, the capacity to put man at a position where a man was now able to, to choose back again. In other words, redemption helps to restore what Adam lost. And it's true his will is fallen. It's true that his intellect is fallen. It's true that the emotions are fallen. But the work of Christ is to help to restore that. So I believe that it helped to put man to the point where God again now begins to deal with man, that man has a choice to make. If man doesn't have a choice to make, I don't see how God can hold any man accountable in the day of judgment for what he did or what he didn't do. Um, how can you hold me responsible if I must do what I have to do that you made me do and I had no choice whatsoever? It makes a mockery uh, of justice and righteousness and holiness. And that's where... Now, Christ's death, as I said, restored uh, Alan's fallen race to a capacity where he can choose. And I believe also the statement he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And I believe that that saving power of Christ now allows God to be able to, because the Bible says no man can come to the Father to, except he's drawn. And yet Paul's, Jesus said, when I'm lifted up, he, he will draw all men. So I think he puts us back on the capacity where God is calling all men. And I say that for this, right? Um, the Bible said God is not willing that any should perish. Now, if God is not willing that any should perish, I believe that God does everything in his power to enable that man that he says, I'm not willing for you to perish. I cannot say he's, he's saying that and not doing everything within his capacity to make it possible for me to make that, that choice. And then, of course, um, the Bible also said that he's provided salvation for every man. So if every man could not be saved, why would he provide salvation for every man? That's why I think the, the element of choice is there. And the Bible says he calls all men everywhere to repent. Now, if I am calling on you to repent and I know you can't repent, you're mocking me. And that's where I have a problem uh, with the idea that, you know, when that some people, that man doesn't have a choice. I, I have a serious problem with that. And then uh, the promise of salvation is open to all who believe uh, in Jesus Christ and put their faith in the salvific work at the cross. And the, the reason why all this is done, this is done for the greater good of man. Um, somehow... Uh, God saw that in spite of the fall, that it would result in the greater good that man will become more like him. And that's the greatest good. The, 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 the more you become like God, that's the highest good. And somehow salvation is linked with giving man that capacity of becoming like God. Uh, and then the second thing is, it is all for God's glory. It's not about oh, it's not about you. It's about God's glory, and then I also think it has to do with removing sin completely from the universe, and that's why I think man is such a uh, important 
I don't want to use the word important in the sense that God, you know, but it's, it's part of God's plan to deal with the whole problem of evil in the world and dealing especially with Satan's attempt to destroy uh, and frustrate God's plan. I think this is going to give God the, the uh, I don't want to say the legal right, but as the angels are looking on and the universe is looking on, uh, God has to be seen as just and not just merely vindictive. And that's where I think man comes in as part of God's plan. But again, I don't know if that answers all the question the person is asking. I want to come back to deal with election at some point in time, the different approaches to election. You know, they've got super uh, lapsarian, they've got the uh, infralapsarian, they've got sublapsarian. We want to explain what those mean. And then it has to do with the decrease in relation to God's salvation. Did God decrease salvation before he create? Or did he create and then decrease salvation? Mm-hmm. All of these issues need to be looked at, and it'll take some time to do that in a future broadcast. Thank you for that very loaded question that was asked. We appreciate it. And Pastor is here to answer your questions as complex as they may be. He is here to answer your question from a biblical worldview. Do you have a question that has come to your mind? Maybe it's in relation to something that was said tonight. Maybe it's not related to anything that's been said. It's something that a family member asked you, a co-worker asked you. Something that's come to your mind as you've been studying or reading or just going about life on your own? We would love for you to ask it. You can call and ask your question by calling 1-268-462-7420. Again, you can ask it live on the air by calling 268-462-7420. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 268 268- Seven eight two one four five four, or you can ask it on Facebook Live video feed by going to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is eight oh one. We are one third of the way through tonight's episode, but we still have an hour to go. So please keep your radio tuned to CRL eleven sixty AM ninety two point three FM and online at radiolighthouse.org. Not only do we want you to be tuned in, but I want to encourage you to invite someone else. It could be someone that you ride the bus with regularly. It could be someone from your church. It could be a coworker. It could be a believer. It could be an unbeliever. Go ahead and send them a WhatsApp or give them a call and say, That's Truth is on live on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse for the next 57 minutes. Go ahead and tune in and ask your question. Our next question, Pastor, why did... Paul have Timothy circumcised when he himself spoke strongly against the Jewish circumcision. I think you have reference to uh, the incident in Acts chapter 16 when Paul was going on the missionary journey and he learned that uh, Timothy uh, was not circumcised. His mother was a Jew, his father was a Greek. And the Apostle Paul felt that since he was the Apostle to the Jews and he was going to minister to the Jews, uh, it would be an asset to have uh, Timothy uh, circumcised. The other incident, of course, has to do with Paul in Galatians chapter um, 5, 2, where Paul is uh, telling the Galatians that, um, you know, there's no profit to circumcision. Why do you want to be circumcised? And uh, if you look at Galatians 5, 2, could you read that? 
Galatians 5.2 says, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Now, when you take what happened in Acts and you take Paul's strong words here in Galatians, you could get the feeling that there's some inconsistency. In one place, you're telling people there's no profit in doing it, and uh, you're in danger if you get circumcised and Christ doesn't profit you. On the other hand, he's telling Timothy, you know, you need to get circumcised. But again, I think the uh, the, the clarification over the whole matter and uh, the way you begin to understand the two passages that they're not contradictory is to understand the circumstances that we're dealing with. The first one has to do with the fact that Paul is going on a missionary journey, and the Apostle Paul is taking want to take Timothy with him. But again, his mom is a Jew, his father is a Greek, and he has not been circumcised. So Paul sees it as a um, um, asset to be circumcised because that puts Timothy identifying with the Jew. So he's trying to uh, look more Jewish uh, in his evangelistic ministry among the Jews uh, so that by being circumcised is not a barrier because of the Jewish fascination and, and commitment to this matter of circumcision. A good explanation of that is Corinthians chapter 9, verse 20. First Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 20 says, And unto the Jews I became a, as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Right. So Paul is, is talking about um, evangelizing, and he's able to utilize um, customs. Um, you remember in the book of Acts, Paul actually goes to the Nazarite vow at one time in the book of Acts. Again, some people think it's a compromise there, but in the case, again, his calling is to the Jews, and he's trying to identify with the Jew as much as possible so as not to alienate himself uh, um, from the Jews. So in the case of Timothy, uh, he sees it as a helpful tool for evangelistic work. You know, when Mary Slesher, I think it's that she went to, I think it's Mary Slesher, I can't remember, it's a lady missionary who went to India. Um, one of the problems that she had is that she was seen as a white European, or a white American, basically, and she wanted to identify with the Indian women because she was trying to get a lot of the women who were now temple prostitutes in the in the in the uh, Hindu temples. And pretty much what she did, she discolored her face to, with uh, with like uh, tea leaves to look brownish. She changed her hair to look like an Indian. Uh, and I think one of the things that when she was young, I'm speaking of, I, can't, I think it's her, uh, but I know it's one of the missionaries, one of the lady missionaries. When she was young, she was wondering why God didn't give her blue eyes, but gave her brown eyes. And she discovered that if she had, <laughs> if she had uh, darkened her skin with tea leaves and dressed like an Indian, and she still had blue eyes, would know that she was a European. So la later on in the mission field, she was thanking God that the actual fact for the, the fact that she had these brown eyes so that she blended in with the Indian women and looked like an Indian quite pretty much to minister to Indian. Also, I think um, it was Hudson Taylor who, who wore pigtail like the, uh, the, the Chinese to identify with the Chinese. This is not compromising the gospel. This is using uh, being wise as a serpent, but innocent as a dove. 
and adapting to the culture as much as possible if it does not compromise your doctrine or your, or your biblical position on salvation. So there's nothing wrong uh, in what uh, Paul was suggesting to Timothy. It would be a tool of uh, making him more acceptable among the Jews when he's ministering with them. And if we had to go for the, to the American Indians, for example, to minister to them, and you had to wear feathers uh, like they wear feathers, except that doesn't affect your your salvation, but it makes you them feel that you're more acceptable to the culture. Or there may be certain foods that you would have to eat when you go to a different culture to blend into the culture. It may be something that's quite repulsive to you, but you do it because you're interested in letting them know that um, you know, you you identify with them. You want to work with them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, that's the reason why Paul had Timothy. Now, in the case of Galatians, now you're dealing with something else. You're dealing with people who are uh, demanding that circumcision is necessary as part of salvation. And this is where Paul would not budge on this matter, and he would fight it tooth and nail. Uh, because it was a theological uh, betrayal of the gospel. And that is why in Acts chapter 15, when they had a group came down from Jerusalem uh, and was telling the Gentiles that they need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, that's when the Apostle Paul and Peter and James had this um, ecumenical convention to discuss this whole matter of where does the law fit in and where does circumcision fit into the plan of salvation. And it was agreed that the believers didn't have to be circumcised, didn't have to keep the law of Moses. But that matter was settled. So here's Paul dealing with the Galatians now. And a matter that was settled in Acts chapter 15 has surfaced again. And Paul had to be very, very strong to let them know that circumcision plays no part in salvation whatsoever. And that's why in one case he commends Timothy because he's going to work among the Jews and it will aid and assist him in his evangelistic work. In the other hand, he abominates it in the book of Galatians because they're making it part of a necessary ingredient of salvation. And Paul says, absolutely not. Christ and Christ alone. You don't subtract from Christ, you don't add to Christ. You don't need Christ plus circumcision, Christ plus the law, Christ plus the Sabbath, Christ plus baptism, Christ plus um, confirmation. It is Christ and Christ alone when it comes to salvation. And that's the reason why uh, Paul did it. So there's no contradiction there. You just have to understand the circumstances dealing with and the need to adapt to uh, when you're doing evangelistic work and missionary work. So I understand what you're saying there, that we don't need Christ plus something, plus the law. But what's the biblical view, Pastor, in today's day and age, if you say, okay, I'm saved by grace, saved by faith, in Jesus Christ, but is there any benefit in keeping the law? Is there a requirement for keeping these holy days? Well, let me put it this way. Uh, I think if you go through the New Testament, you will find that nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in Paul's epistles. So clearly, the moral aspect of the law uh, is not abrogated in the sense that uh, we shouldn't try to not commit adultery. We should try to keep uh, th those are required of us, in the, in, in, but they're not a means of salvation. But people who are saved, you still live, live within the, the confines of the moral law because these are repeated in the epistles. The only commandment in the Ten uh, Commandments that is not repeated in the New Testament as binding on the believer is the Sabbath. And here's the principle, Nathan. The principle is still observed in the church. The principle in the Old Testament was one out of seven. 
That principle is observed in the church, one of the seven, which is Sunday. And remember the reason why we do it. The Old Testament law, the Sabbath, celebrated the old creation. The New Testament practice of Sunday celebrates the new creation. So uh, that is why, in essence, the law is fulfilled because the same principle is being observed, right? But the law was never a means of life. But the, the, more, the law is based on God's moral character. God's moral character doesn't change. So God's standard of morality doesn't change either. And that's why And God has a right to take principles from the old economy and put it in a new economy. He's God. He's the one that will tell us what, 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 what I want from here that can go in here. And uh, if he doesn't repeat something in there, like, for example, the dietary laws, that's not in there. But yet Paul makes very clear on this matter that these are things that were shadows of things to come. So we don't need to do those kind of things any longer. But when it comes to the moral law, we find that those are repeated in the epistles uh, uh, and so on. So that's why we, I, we still serve the one and true God. We don't use God's name in vain. We still honor our children. We don't lie. We don't steal. We don't try to cover our, 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 our neighbor's wife. Except those are moral principles. Those don't change. But they were never intended to be a means of life. And that's where people go. Go. Christ is the only one that can save us. But when he has saved us, he transforms us and he changes our character. And we are becoming conformed more like God. If the law is God's character, how then can we go against the moral principle of the law? That makes no sense. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.13. Do you have a question? Pastor Wood loves to answer it from a biblical worldview. There's multiple ways you can interact with us tonight. You can ask your question by calling and asking it live on the air by calling 1-268-462-7420. The phone line's open. It's waiting for your call. You can WhatsApp or text your question to 1-268-782-1454. Maybe you want to make sure that your question in no way gets traced back to you. I don't see your question when it comes in. It goes to the call screener, and they pass your question along from the WhatsApp phone on a computer program to me. So just put anonymous at the beginning, and I won't even know what region of the world your question came from. It will remain completely anonymous. You can also ask your question by going, joining us on Facebook. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed. And in the comment section, you can comment your question. I, I want to make another comment. To me. One of the problems that I think the modern church has, especially the evangelical church, the Baptist, etc., uh, I don't think because we are so fearful of the Adventist movement of in, in demanding obedience to the law as a means of salvation, basically, that many of the churches stay away from expounding the law. But again, the law was given to let us understand what sin is. So if we don't properly expound the law to the people uh, and let them know what what God requires as a holy God, how do we get conviction? There's no conviction without the law, quite frankly. Yeah. But the Holy Spirit will use the word to bring conviction. And we got to be very, if you read all of the great uh, preachers, like even Moody, uh, Spurgeon, you'll find that in their um, catalog of sermons, they preach on the law. They explained the law and went into deep details about the law. And pe- that's why there was people were under so much conviction today. We don't, we don't, we don't do that. We don't tell, we don't. We, if we took the law, the Ten Commandments, and go through the Ten Commandments, and really go down to the meat 
and the spirit of the Ten Commandments, there's not a single person that is unsaved that has it properly expounded what God requires that uh, are not open to conviction because the Holy Spirit will use that to bring conviction. So we've got to be very careful that in trying not to be seen as though that we are Sabbatarians, that we neglect in expounding Scripture not to deal with the law and explain that, that. And also, that gives enough to explain to the Bible what is the purpose of the law then. And then we all learn that the law was the schoolmaster to do what? To lead us to Christ, right? Uh, I just want to say that because I think sometimes we are afraid of preaching on the law. Brother Williams, thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question, please. Good night, good night, good morning. Good night, sir. How are you doing? Haven't heard you for a while. I know you do. I know you do. Appreciate. I know. I know. Appreciate you listening. Yes, Pastor. Another question. Me and me and a brother of the church had a little talk. We are talking about Jesus is a black man. I tell him no, Jesus is a Jew. Yeah. And he tell me when the Bible talk about. His feet was like brass, and his hair was like only black man hair that like 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 wood. Yeah, yeah. So I say, well, when the Bible tell you he came to his own, and his own received him not. Yeah. So who were talking about the black people? Was Jew? Yeah, yeah. Salvation of the Jew. Look, I, you know, I, I'm hearing that more and more now, and it's more coming out of America than any pl- other place. Basically, the the black people in America, and that, uh, and by the way, that has led to a lot of violence against the Jews. I don't know if you know that. A lot of violence against the Jews. The Jews right now in America are the, are targeted. Uh, and so on and so on. But Christ was not a black person. He was a Jew. He's more like, if you go to the the, the, the Middle East and you see uh, those people that look kind of Arabic, he's, he's more like that. But of course, when they move, when the Jews move from Babylon and so on, and then they came over to the West, their skin have cleared up a lot. Like if you went to America and you live in Canada for many, many years, it doesn't matter how dark you are, you, your, your pigmentation, it, it, it looks so... As a matter of fact, some of these people on television that claim to be black, they look so white, they don't even know what the distinction is. <laughs> and that's because they live in a different climate. But don't get wrapped up in this. The, 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 the race thing is almost coming to the point where it's, it's creating so many problems in, in, in Christianity. We need to preach Christ and Christ alone and get away from all of this racial uh, problems that people are having and trying to, you know, let's preach Christ and, and uh, understand that, you know, if you don't love your brother, you, you don't know the Lord. But uh, sorry to interrupt you so suddenly. <laughs> what else, sir? Yes, sir. I'm a container ship in the Mediterranean and I work with some Arabs. And they qualify themselves as, as black. What's that? I had working in the Mediterranean with some on a container ship with some Arabs. And they classify themselves as black people. Well, I don't know of any, uh, but they're not of the, the Hamitic race. I mean, the difference between the Jews, Jews are from the Semitic race, uh, the son of Shem, and um, the black, which means, the word Ham means black or, or, or burned, is from the Hamitic race. Uh, so they're two different races. I did that this evening to show that uh, what the race of the, when the group, that, and I don't like to use the word race because the Bible doesn't use the word race. There's only one race, is the human race. Ethnic groups, okay? 
that is what uh, it is. But it's clear that the line that where the, the uh, if you want to say the blacks or the whites or the Europeans, two different lines are together. And, the, and by the way, Europeans are not Semitic either. They come from Japheth. So they're a completely different ethnic group. Okay. So I'm just I'm just thinking out loud here, but w- couldn't you say that the waters would be even more muddied than they would have been 2,000 years ago in the sense that there's been much more uh, marriage between the different races? Yeah. Uh, if you if you study the, the tables, what happened is that um, in order to have different characteristics, that you know you got genetic characteristics for your hair, your pigmentation, your color, when you have a group that separates and intermarry and intermarry within that they isolate and separate and separate there are certain qualities that if it's the skin quality that becomes more compounded so if it's a if that's the main thing of it you're here again uh, and stuff like that so once you're isolated and you're intermarry within the same sector there are qualities that begin to dominate and that is what I believe happened with the different races okay. as the, the people split up in, in uh, Genesis chapter 10 and God scattered them so it means that groups now that used to intermarry and used to interrelate they, by isolating and intermarrying, develop certain characteristics. The other ones in this area develop certain... I remember that if the sun is burning you or something is burning you, you can adapt to deal with the sun. Uh, except if it's cold, you can adapt to deal with the cold. So you develop certain natural qualities in the whole process. And I think that's how eventually we got these different... But all of us came from Adam. And all of us came from uh, Noah's three sons after God destroyed the flood. So there's only one race. There's something called the human race. But there are people who have different pigmentation. But uh, there's only one race. And the Bible does not identify races. The Bible identifies ethnic groups, especially by language and uh, geographical location, but never by pigmentation. Okay? Um, I don't know if that helps any. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah. You're welcome, sir. God bless. Thank you very much for your call, Brother Williams. Have a good night. Thanks for listening and continue to encourage others to tune in to That's Truth. If you have a question, you can WhatsApp or text it to us at 1-268-782-1454. You can call and ask your question live on the air at 268 268- 462-7420, or you can join us on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, the Facebook Live video feed. A question that has come in from Facebook. Good evening. Just interested what book Pastor Murphy is currently reading. My, uh, <laughs> I was just given a book by um, Brother Nathan's f- father-in-law. Uh, a book is called uh, Nine Marks of the uh, a Healthy Church. Uh, I got that book on Sunday. I read two chapters Sunday night. And it's such a good book that I have actually um, recommended that we purchase books for the deacons and for the youth pastor and myself. And I have told them that as soon as I get back from this stint for three weeks, uh, four weeks, I'm, we are going to meet and go through chapter by chapter, see what's in there. Uh, because it's a fascinating book. I, I had never seen the book before, um, but it's a book that I 
Well, I haven't fully read it yet, but what I've seen there, I think is an appropriate book for, and it was recommended to me by, by his uh, father-in-law that we do something of that nature, That because they've done it in their own church. And the moment he told me that, I felt it was a great idea. And so that we, that's what we're going to do. But that's the book I'm reading now. Um, it's called the, the Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. If you go online and, and do, Google it, you should see it come up there. Yeah. yeah, there's multiple editions out there. I'm reading some other books as well. <laughs> okay. Uh, but that one is the, the, the main one I'm reading. Um, but I'm also reading the, the commentary on Colossians because I'm doing Colossians in our church. Uh, I'm still doing, uh, although I haven't done the series in Romans, I'm still reading Romans because I have to pick up where I left off in the Romans as soon as I get into the other series. So I've got to keep abreast with that, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'm reading some books by um, Morrison on Bible answers to your questions. I'm also reading that. And then there's another one by Geisler, When Skeptics Ask, um, um, dealing with biblical issues. I'm, I'm also reading that. So I, I'm the kind of person that I just can't read one book. I get bored with one, and I go to the other one, and then I get excited. I get bored with that, I go back to the other one. So that's the pattern I take, and I find that's very, very useful uh, for me. Thank you for that question. I can't say we've ever had that one come in in the five years of That's Truth, but uh, Pastor, thank you for your transparency and being real with your answers. Time Across the Eastern Caribbean is 824, and Pastor is here to answer your questions from a biblical worldview. You can call and ask your question, 268-462-7420, or WhatsApp and text it to 268 782 one four five four. Anything else you want to mention about uh, Paul and Timothy and circumcision? I just, I just hope people understand that you know, uh, uh, as long as it's not compromising the gospel and com- compromising scripture, you can adapt to the circumstances in which you're witnessing and trying to minister to people in the different. If you go to another, like our team, we just had a team that went to um, Albania. And uh, there's some things that happened in Albania that we haven't gotten the whole picture, but they had to make a lot of adjustments to the Albanian culture. And they didn't compromise the gospel, but there's some things that they had to do. And I think this is what Paul is talking about. He's doing missionary work. We need to be more effective working with a certain cultural group. This, uh, by doing something, either eating what they're doing, addressing how, they, how, how like them, etc., etc. It's not offensive. It's not contrary to the biblical principle of human dressing, etc., etc. There's nothing wrong in making that adaptation if it helps in the interest of spreading the gospel. Here's a very practical question. Pastor, how do you go about sorting out the various responsibilities in the home, and is it important to do so? Well, let's deal with the first part of it, the last part of it, which is, you know, why would we want to sort out the different responsibilities uh, within the home? And uh, let me just mention a few things. Uh, of course, the first one would be to avoid conflict uh, and frustration and confusion, and, and which lead to bitterness, because one person may feel that they're encumbered or overburdened, that they have to do all the work, and the work is not being shared equally. So it helps uh, to make clear different areas of responsibilities, and as a result of doing that, you avoid different conflicts. The other thing is that it takes advantage of the gifts and abilities and insights and experience that the other person has. A man and a woman, husband and wife, they've got different skills 
they've got different skill sets, they've got different abilities, uh, they've had different experiences coming from different backgrounds, and uh, it is wise to be able to take the advantage, uh, whatever uh, advantage that person has, whether it has to do with the gift skills or whatever, and then to delegate those and uh, demarcate and kind of have a division of work, what each person would do. Uh, the other thing is, if you don't do it, is to ensure that things get d- done. Um, someone ought to be given the responsibility of seeing that things get done. Someone has said, often when something is everybody's responsibility, it becomes nobody's responsibility. <laughs> and true. that is true. Yeah. So it's good in the, in a home uh, to avoid chaos and always quarrel and fighting and being angry, etc., to do that. And then, of course, when you do uh, able to make these divisions and, and create um, what the different roles are and responsibilities are. It fosters unity and harmony and leads to cooperation between the couples. So it's very helpful to to, to bind the couple together. And, uh, to, and then, to, um, of course, you've got to learn to share the load of maintaining and caring uh, for the, 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 the property. I'd like to say something else here. Uh, sorting out these responsibilities uh, doesn't mean that a husband is relinquishing uh, his biblical role as a leader. Uh, what it does mean is that he recognizes that his partner has certain abilities and capacity that God has given to your partner and competent in certain areas that he may not be competent in, and he's delegating that to her. Uh, and then, of course, um, the way you go about that is to sit down as a couple and try to list out the different areas uh, of, of needs in the home. Let me suggest uh, something here to you. you know, take a sheet of paper, and then, first of all, look at the children, if you've got kids and the children. And there's several things you need to ask about who's responsible for certain areas. For example, the neatness of the bedroom, if they have a bedroom. Who's responsible to make sure that the children do that? Uh, who's res- who sets the rules and the regulations uh, in the home relative to the kids when they can go and play? Can they have an out party? Who, who does that? Are you going to delegate that? Is it the both of you are going to sit down and set the rules, or you say to your husband or your husband says, you know, I'd like you to, to handle this? Who decides on bedtimes? What time the children turn into sleep? Uh, who de- decides on activities? What activities they engage in, especially during the school week? If they have to, you know, when they come home, what's the order when you come home? And, you know, in terms of homework, in terms of can I watch they watch television for a little while or not watch television? What can they do? Can they play a little bit on the outside? Can they go by the neighbor? All of those things. Then discipline. Uh, it's another area you got to decide with kids. Who is responsible mainly for the discipline? Is it a joint venture? Uh, do, do we do both share this load equally? Do we do it together? Um, social life uh, has to do with their friends. Um, which friends can they associate with? Can they go by the home? Can the person come by you? Uh, when they get a little bit older, you have to decide on dating. Uh, who can they date? How can they date? When can they date? All of that need to be settled. And then clothing. Who decides on what is proper uh, dress for the kids. If you don't deal with these matters, they're going to overwhelm you. And they, if you don't have any standard in those kind of things, kids will just take you to the limit. So you have to, okay, here are the kids. These are the areas that we need to work on. And then, of course, uh, it'll come to a point when the child is getting old. Allowances as they get older. Who? How much do you give them? 
uh, that they can spend ten dollars, five dollars. What, what allowance you're going to give them as they get older? Um, you've got to decide on that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then sh- chores. What chores the child's children go doing? What did the boys do? What did the girls do? Um, you've got to set that out uh, for the kids as well, etc. And then of course manners. You know, um, got to teach them etiquette. You got to teach them how when to respond to people. Please, uh, yes, sir, no, ma'am. This is some. If you don't teach them, <laughs> they're just going to get it from other people who don't themselves don't have any training. And before you know it, your child is just as uncouth as the people that they move with. So you're going to have to realize that there's certain things. Thank you, please, whatever it is. And this is something you have to reinforce if you see the value to the to the children. And then um, schoolwork. Who handles the schoolwork? Is it daddy? Is it mommy? Who sees that the child's work is done? Who works for the school? Do you rotate it? One, one, one. That has to be settled because kids need to do their homework. I'm convinced that if parents get involved in a child's education and make sure that the homework is done, I don't think you're going to have a problem with the child. But I think a lot of kids don't get the help they need. They don't understand certain questions. They don't know how to do certain subjects. And because they're not assisted, the grades begin to fall. And many, many times when you begin to fail in one class and you don't succeed, you go into the other class, you fail there. So something has to be done. So you have to deal with that. And then, of course, TV watching. How much TV does your child is allowed to watch? Can he watch during the week or does he watch on weekends? Uh, you just can't tell him to turn on the television and that's the end of it. Somebody has to control the monster. And you as a parent have got to decide. With my kids, when my kids were in school, uh, even during vacation, uh, if they wanted to play for three hours, they had to study for three hours, even during vacation. I said, you, you decide how much time you want. You want 10 hours? Okay, no problem. Study for 10 hours, you know. So I let the onus be on them, and they would never say, I'm hindering them. I said, no, I don't mind you playing for five hours. But study for five hours. And uh, so, But you have to put something in place for the child. And then hygiene. You're going to have to teach the children about hygiene. Um, brushing your teeth. Don't assume that that because you brush yours, they're going to brush theirs. Next thing you know, you've got all this dentist expenses, etc., etc. When the child goes to sleep at night, make sure they brush their teeth at night and do gargling, whatever it is. If you don't, you're going to have to pay some serious money in, in fixing the teeth. And I would say something else as well, Nathan. Break the child out of sucking the thumb at a very early age. If you don't, you're going to spend tons of dollars trying to get that child's teeth realigned because once that gets projected, you can't put it back in and then you've got to put uh, these, what do you call them, braces, etc., etc. Uh, so it's better now that the child cry now than you cry later when you're going to pay all this money. <laughs> but you need to break that. And then, of course, the spiritual life of the child. Who reads the Bible stories at night to the child? Who prays with the child? Uh that has to be worked out as well. Well, with the grandchildren that I have not home, with Ellie, Ellie, every night I pretty much handle Ellie, read a story to her, a story she wants to read, and I read a Bible story, and then we pray for her family, pray for myself, pray for her friends, etc., etc. But if I can ingrain that in her, I wish I had that when I was a boy. I never mm. had it, Nathan. Mm. I got saved when I was 16. I didn't know about praying. And it's, it remains a tough battle for me personally. But if I had had that ingrained me at an early age, it becomes so natural. So I'm trying to ingrain that in her now so that it becomes a natural uh, expression. She wants to read the Bible. She wants to pray. And then, of course, um, 
So when it comes to the children, those are several areas. There's some other areas that you might need to fill in. So sit down, look at your child, and uh, look at these different areas and decide, is it my wife? Is it me? Who's Are we going to do it jointly? Whatever it is. But if nobody is doing it, chances are nothing is being done and it's just complete chaos, pandemonium, and the child does every whatever they want and then you begin to wonder why the child is not performing, etc., etc. So that's the first thing I would say. Uh, then the other thing has to do with money management, uh, establishing the budget. Uh, who does that? Is it the husband? Is it the wife? Uh, the husband doesn't have to do it. He can delegate it to the wife. She's much smart in spending money and containing money, etc., etc. Nothing wrong in him delegating that, but somebody has to control the budget. Now, if you have a, if a two earning people earning, you may not need to necessarily have a, uh, you have an idea what you're spending per month. It's not, you're not as though your bills are piling up, you can't pay your bills. But whenever you're beginning to have problems, you can't meet your obligations for each month. It's time, certainly, that you get some kind of budget in place and see what needs to be done in that matter. And then, um, who does the, the bookkeeping? And what I mean by that, who pays the bills? And who keeps the records? Uh, who does the shopping? Now, it might sound strange to some people, but I do most of the shopping for the home because I'm normally, when I leave the church, I would go to the, the supermarket and find out for my wife before what you need. So I would normally do that. But I don't mind if she wants to do it. And if she was the one that was um, in town most of the time, I would let her do it. But because I'm there, I'm trying to kill two birds with one stone. But you have to establish that. Because it's very difficult. If, if, if nobody is responsible for the groceries, you get it one morning and there's nothing there. And you feel so frustrated, but you didn't buy the eggs. You forgot the Milo. What's the milk? No flour? <laughs> and small things like that can become very irritable in the marriage. Somebody has to be responsible for that. And then, um, uh, but the, well, the purchase of food, and uh, 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 this is another one menu planning. Uh, if the problem is solved, if you know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, what we're going to cook, it solves the problem if you know that we're going to have rice on Monday, soup on Tuesday, uh, chow mein on Wednesday. Uh, we might decide that we're not going to cook on Thursday. We might buy a shawam or something. The, the idea is that once you know the menu, it helps a lot of, a lot of things, etc. And then, of course, it allows you to do variety. If you plan a menu for the whole week, you're not doing rice today, rice tomorrow, rice the next day, rice the next day, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that that is an important part as well. And then house cleaning. That has to be settled. Who does the shower? Who cleans the toilet? Who uh, washes the wares? Who does the laundry? Uh, who sweeps the house? Uh, I mean, I can think of a thousand things that need to be done, but who does that? You can't put that all that on one person, um, except the person is maybe a, a full-time housewife and she's at home all day, a lot of these things. But if you've got two people working eight hours a day and they're coming home, uh, housework has to be shared. Uh, uh, Does and, this stuff need to be discussed before you're married or wait until after you're married? The ideal, Nathan, is to discuss this before you're married. But the truth of the matter is that most people that I know that are uh, dating, they are so wrapped up emotionally, looking in each other's eyes as though they're in some outer space somewhere. Some, uh, they're not really dealing with the real issues that are going to make the marriage successful. And then they get into a marriage and they're not prepared because they didn't anticipate certain things are going to happen. But that's the ideal time when you date to decide what we're going to discuss on the date. 
you know. Uh, well, let's talk about let's talk about kids. Well, kids, what we, how are we do with the kids, right? Who's going to handle finances? So you're, you're planning on your dating. What you're going to discuss? Of course, you discuss other things. You're romantic, but at least you're targeting areas so that you're going into the marriage and you're fully aware of what's going to be involved, what's required, and what to expect. But without that, believe you me, <laughs> uh, I don't think a lot of people understand and prepare for marriage as they should. That's why I say, Nathan, that I said on a previous program, the day has come, the day has come that we can no longer go into a marriage with all the stress, the fact that you've got two working parents normally, things that we didn't have to be concerned about. My mom, for example, was a housewife all of her life. That is not going to be the norm for most people because the cost of living is so high that sometimes both people are required and I recommend that they do it until the child starts to school and then um, be the kind of parent except but you should be home during that period of time. Um, what are your spiritual goals for the family? Who handles family devotions? And again, I don't think it's necessary that the father, the husband, be the one that handled the devotions. Um, he could delegate that to his wife and said, you know, I will I, just, you be the one, call the family together. I can handle the devotion. But sometimes, sometimes it's, men are doing so many different things that, and, and women, I'll be honest with you, Nathan, women are a lot far more spiritual than a lot of men are. And they're more conscious of spiritual things in that regard. And that is why, for example, take um, Susanna Wesley. I think she had 14 children. And she gave, I forgot, she gave each child one hour a week with each child separately dealing with spiritual matters. And she was the one that was the spiritual um, um, person responsible for the spirituality of the home because her her husband was so busy and preaching and, and you remember riding the horse all, all all that kind of stuff like that. So I think he'd be, and then um, another area, Nathan, is family activities. Somebody has to decide on family activities. It doesn't happen. Uh, are we gonna like fun times? You're gonna have a fun time. You're gonna have recreation time. Is there any family project we can do together? Uh, uh, in, in case uh, you know who is responsible for what, that is something that again that that needs to be worked about. What about vacation plans? That has to be worked out as well. Uh, well, you know, I'm very miserable with that one. I don't really pay much attention to that because I'm such an old person now. But I think th- this young generation, who are very mobile, uh, certainly with all the pressure that they got, with all the, so th- they need to get away. But who plans the vacation? Uh, I would never go on a vacation. I'm the one that had to plan it, quite frankly, right? My wife would have to do f- f- go online and f- do the tickets. Or Rhoda's done that for me. But I'm not going to do that because that's just not my thing, to be very honest with you. So somebody, and then, what about such things as um, the automobile? Selection of the automobile, maintenance of the automobile. Who, who's going to maintain that? Who makes sure that? The water is in there and the oil is there. Otherwise, you're going to burn out the engine. Who does that? You, a woman could drive a vehicle for a whole year and not realize you got to put in water, got to put in oil. So somebody got to decide that. Uh, but who does that, right? Is your husband? Is he going to show her how many, what time, and like what once a month, twice a week? Check the water, check the oil. How to do that? If that is never done and she's just driving, you go away. She's just driving, just driving. You might come back and find that she's burned the head. Another expense. So that is something as well that needs. Then savings. That's something you need to discuss. You could be spending, 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 but somebody has to be insisting 
that this is being put aside every month. And maybe somebody want to hold that account. This is their person. Savings is your job. Every month I must give you this amount. You make sure that it's saved. If that isn't done, chances are they're not going to be in savings, yeah. uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, hospitality. Uh, you're going to have friends over once a week, twice a week. If you're in the same area when mom is away, maybe uh, you're going to visit mom, my mom, your mom. What's your plan to keep uh, that kind of thing? So, But these are things that unless somebody's assigned to do it, it never gets happen. Uh, never happens. So it needs to. A lot of other things that I could mention. Family photography is another one. You know, when I look back, Nathan, I have very few pictures of my family. Now you've got the cell phone that can take pictures, you know. Somebody should be keeping a record of the, the, the family, etc., family pictures, uh, special events. Who's responsible for anniversaries and birthdays? Who's going to make sure, especially when you begin to have kids, etc., etc. Um, uh, yard work, gardening, um, uh, career choices, uh, ch- career changes, those are other areas that you can talk about. Um, of course, when it comes to furniture and stuff like that, who does the purchase, who does the selection, who does the maintenance, um, uh, you know, that is basically how you do it. You sit down together, you identify these different things that need to be done, and you have two columns, husband, wife. And you just tick which one is mine, which one is yours, so that we have an idea. Which, because you're trying to div- divide labor, and you're trying to make sure that um, nobody is overburdened and over, you know, have all the responsibility. Uh, you can feel as though you're doing all the work, and there's no help. And when that begins to happen, resentment develops, and resentment is something that grows on the inside for a long time, and then finally the person start being sarcastic and then after being sarcastic they become verbal, begin to be very verbal and you can see now the expression on the face and before you know it out of war quarreling fretting and maybe even shocking uh, one morning you get there and the um, suitcase she's gone mm-hmm. he's gone uh, and you say well, endure this for so long can't take it anymore and um, hope you can survive on your own. Uh, this can be averted and avoided if we look at these different responsibilities, different roles, and itemize them and decide who's going to handle what. I think this would be very, very helpful for a couple to do that. Very practical information. Again, if I know Pastor threw a lot of things out there. If you would like to hear them in more detail and maybe take notes or absorb it a little bit more, You can listen to the rebroadcast of this episode on Saturday afternoon from 3.30 until 5 p.m. If that doesn't work for you, later this week you can go to our website, radiolighthouse.org, and look for the podcast. Let me tell you how to get to it. A podcast, by the way, if you're not familiar with the podcast, we are taking the audio file from this 90-minute program, this episode, and we are putting it out there on the Internet for you and for all of your friends and family to be able to listen to it and download it at your convenience and then use it and play it over and over again, however many times you need to, to absorb all the information that Pastor has shared. Go to our website, radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second large photo that you see. It's a broadcast microphone, just like the one that I'm sitting behind. 
click on the center circle when you see that broadcast microphone. It says podcast. And then the first podcast listed on that next page is That's Truth. And you can go to the latest episode. You can go to the archive of all previous 256 episodes. And they are categorized by topic. A question that has come in. Pastor, is it wrong to not desire to be in a relationship due to past hurts? Huh. I, I don't know if I can say that it is, is wrong, but I will tell you this, that God has designed us to live within relationships. We were made for relationships, and change and transformation takes place within relationships. So I, I think that if you are isolating yourself because of past hurt, et cetera, et cetera, I think you're doing yourself a great disfavor. Uh, you are a social being, and within the context of relationships is how God intended man to live. That's why he said it's not good for man to be alone. Uh, so I, I think that if you've been hurt, uh, and I can understand being hurt and not want to be hurt again, but uh, you need to move on with your life. Uh, you can't stay in one rut and allow something to spoil the beauty of what God intended for you. So I would say to you that... Um, I want to say to you, easy to get over the hurt because I don't know how painful it has been. But you can't let that scar uh, your life and, and, and keep you in bondage to hurt all your life. Um, you need to get healing. You need, if you haven't forgiven the person that has uh, caused you hurt, I would suggest that you learn uh, that aspect of it to forgive. Release that person. Um, be disposed to release that person. You hurt yourself more by being on uh, not forgiving you it's like um it's like i take in poison to kill the other person uh when i'm bitter or when i, I haven't forgiven uh that's not the way we we uh, could i say this i don't want to say it. look anytime you sit down for any moment or a day and reflect on your own life and reflect on how disloyal you have been to god in so many different ways um it will break you and if we have been so disloyal to the Lord and be forgiven so many times again and again and again and again and again, God is a holy God. Uh, God himself can't sin. But you've got people who are sinners by nature. Um, it would give you a measure of grace to be able to understand that um, we ought to forgive. If God can forgive us, we ought to forgive. Um, he's forgiven us for so much. And by the way, the things that he forgives us for, nobody knows about. Hmm. Right, and if people knew some of the things that he has forgiven about, they may not want to have anything to do with us. Yeah. See, so I'm just suggesting to you that move on and understand that uh, you are a social being, and God intended your life to be lived live within the context of relationships. This is how you grow. This is how you heal within the context of relationships, and uh, don't rush into something suddenly. But use your discernment, what lessons you learned from the previous hurt, what happened, mistakes you made, et cetera, et cetera, and put checks and balances to avoid uh, being so damaged again because somebody hurt you. But move on with your life. Uh, uh, if God's will is for you is not that you be celibate, it means that God intended you to have a partner. And uh, you're doing a great disservice to yourself if you are blocking the, 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 the road where that partnership can develop. There are, look, there are some very bad people out there. But I'm telling you as well, there's some very good people out there as well. And there are some very good people in our churches. There's some very bad people as well. But don't let the, the bad uh, 
put you in the mode where you're no longer willing to trust people, I think you're doing great hurt to yourself. And there may be someone that the Lord would have you as well to be part of their, their own healing, the other person. But because you are no longer willing to go into a relationship, you're not only hurting yourself, but you're hurting that person that the Lord may have for you to help that person get over that hurdle as well. So I would suggest you move on with your life and ask God to give you the grace and the power and the mercy that you need to move on. We have two more questions that have come in. We'll see if we've got time for them in the last seven minutes of this episode. Pastor, can you please explain Ezekiel chapter 8, verses 16 and 17? That's Ezekiel 8, 16 and 17, and I'll read those. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and behold, at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about five and twenty men with their backs toward the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, and they worshipped the sun toward the east. Then he said unto me, Hast thou seen this, O son of man? Is it a light thing to the house of Judah that they commit the abominations which they commit here? For they have filled the land with violence and have returned to provoke me to anger and, lo, put a branch to their nose. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I put you in that passage some time ago. Uh, what Ezekiel is, God does, is that he, he, he gives Ezekiel a vision. Uh, whether this is, um, it actually was transposing, uh, transporting Ezekiel in spirit and uh, taking him into the temple. But he's taking him into the temple to let them see the corruption that is in God's house. And these leaders, these 25 people who should be leading the people to faith and trust in Jehovah, they're actually worshipping the sun gods and the moon gods. And if you go read the interpreted chapter, you'll find that they've also set up idols in the temple itself. But Ezekiel is telling, and one God will take him into the door and tell him, peep into this room and see what these people are doing, how they're worshipping these, these gods. The temple has become completely corrupt, and now they've in- introduced idolatry into the very temple of God. And this is part of the reason why God brought them into captivity and sent Israel by the uh, Assyrians in 722 and by the Babylonians in 586. Uh, you know, God is patient, God is long-suffering. But there's a limit even to God's patience and God's long suffering. And even though he tolerated uh, what Israel was doing, the reason why they were carried in captive mainly because they introduced idolatry into the nation and then idolatry into the very temple of God where God ought to be worshipped. So this is what you have there in Ezekiel, that these leaders, these, these priests and the elders of Israel have so become uh, idolatrous that even in the very temple of God, they're not only set up idols, but they're actually worshipping these sun gods and this moon god, etc., etc. Thank you for that question. Another question that has come in. Good night, Pastor. Is it possible for a woman or a man who is married as a Christian can either be remarried, or is it right if either man or woman, if either are saved, can they remarry? I'm a little confused of what is meant there. Um, we did the game for missions. If is it possible for or, a woman or a man uh-huh. who is married as a Christian, uh-huh. can they either be remarried? Okay, let's stop there. Well, it depends. Uh, there are two biblical grounds for divorce. That is adultery, and that is abandonment. 
So if a if a couple is married um, uh, is married, and one of the partners commit adultery, you don't have to go through the process of divorce. I'm not saying that you have to do it, but the person who is the innocent person does have that right because the oneness, the two become one flesh, is destroyed. And uh, the Lord allows for divorce in that case. My advice in most cases is for healing and forgiveness and to the rebuilding of the marriage and rebuilding of trust. But uh, there are people who take advantage of a person's kindness and grace and continuously commit uh, infidelity. I remind people again that this is not the day that you can uh, run like a village ram any longer. There are 24 STDs out there that can ruin your life and kill you and destroy your health. And uh, so people today are not willing to put up with uh, infidelity like they used to put up years ago because they are that's why there's a, a lot of divorce going on as well they just don't want to endanger their life I'm faithful to you I'm committed to you but you are running around with other women you're running around with other men you are endangering my life and if you have kids by the way who is going to take care of the kids when you're gone so but yes if the person is in the right, in the sense that they're the ones who are the faithful partner and the other person, if they divorce and on biblical grounds, you can get remarried. And the second half of the question, which I think you already answered, is, or is it right if either man or woman, if either are saved, can they remarry? Yeah, if the, the thing, important thing, Nathan, is to have biblical grounds for divorce. Again, as I mentioned, infidelity and adultery is one, but again, abandonment. I know one pastor in, um, he used to be in St. Thomas. He was, don't want to give too many details, but uh, he brought over his wife uh, to work with him in um, doing spiritual work as uh, a school. And then, you know, she got the green card. And then next thing you know, she gone off to America and abandoned him, totally abandoned him. Uh, what is he supposed to do? Well, that's where Romans, uh, Romans chapter, First Corinthians chapter seven applies. Um, I believe in that case is not in bondage, bond any longer, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So when you are abandoned, that person has. And I'll tell people this: normally, when people abandon a partner, uh, if you have hesitancy about whether you have biblical grounds or not, you only have to wait a little while. Because that person abandoned you is certainly going to commit adultery. So now you've got biblical grounds. So if you don't want to rush into it and you still feel a little hesitant, I'm going to guarantee you by, by waiting, that person will give you even the, the grounds of adultery now to, to, to do that. So I, I, you know, so I don't recommend that because somebody just left, you immediately say, I want a divorce or go through a divorce process without understanding what has happened. You might have to live to a period of time to really be sure that this is really abandonment and that that person is certainly connected with somebody else that's committed adultery so that it gives you the biblical ground. All I'm saying to people is we just want to do be obedient to Scripture. We want to follow what the Scripture says. We don't want to, uh, we, we feel a certain way, therefore we do. We can't operate on that basis. But if the Bible gives us a leeway to do certain things, we just want to make sure that we do that. Pastor, in the last minute, how do I know that I have a right relationship with God? And is that even possible for man to have a right relationship with God or to know that there is a God? Well, there's only one way for us to have a right relationship with God, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it quite clear. No man comes to the Father 
but through me. And if you want to establish that relationship with God, it means uh, you have got to deal with the problem. What separates man from God? Listen to uh, Isaiah chapter 59. Behold, the Lord's ear is not heavy that he cannot hear, uh, nor his hand short that he cannot save. But your iniquities have separated between you and God. The problem between God and man is his sin. To have a relationship with God, that sin has to be dealt with. God in His grace and His mercy provided a means of salvation and forgiveness to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we accept Christ as our Savior and we repent of our sins, that gives now the sin is removed, the barriers removed, and that gives us access into God's presence. That's how you start a relationship with God, through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the last 30 seconds, Pastor, what would you say to the individual who says, Pastor, I have seen my parents, I have seen friends and family who were married go through so much heartache. I don't think I'm going to get married. I'm just going to live with my partner. Well, living with your partner is sin, so you can't be a believer. And the Bible warns, he that's born of God does not habitually practice sin. You've got to Bring yourself out of that, put your faith in God, trust in God, and work on biblical principles that help you through your marriage. The answer is not just living with your partner um, in an um, illicit relationship. It is wrong, it is evil, it's against God's word. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.